You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 134. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. Welcome, everyone. You have reached another Local Maximum. Uh, Today is... What is this? This is like the last day of August, right? August, no, uh, second to last day of August. Okay, last uh, last episode before Labor Day. So we are now, it's kind of a, a quiet week, but uh, we're now heading towards the last stretch of, of summer and hopefully uh, the last stretch of 2020, uh, as, uh, as hard as that is to believe. Um, today, I don't, I didn't hear a lot from you from last week's topology episode. I really enjoyed doing that. Uh, I know that a lot of you listen to it, so that is that feels really good for me. Um, a, a few follow-ups after listening to that episode. Um, just uh, one point about neighborhoods in a top- topological space. You know, if a point has a whole bunch of neighborhoods, the idea is, you know, if a neighborhood completely surrounds the point, then to approach that point, that you have to enter every single neighborhood at some point. So that is uh, that's more of a, a more succinct way of of the kind of the point I was trying to make. Um, we were asking a lot about Aaron was asking me a lot about some of the applications of topology. So I looked some of it up. Uh, it turns out there are plenty of applications, but they're usually in the hard sciences and not uh, quite in the area that that I'm in. So for example, not theory is definitely used in theoretical physics, like I said, but it's also used in things like biology and chemistry and the shapes of, of DNA and the different ways that, um, that these molecules can arrange themselves. So I thought that was interesting. I, I haven't looked into that stuff before, so that's sort of, uh, yes, that, that is a, a definitely an application. Uh, and there, and ha- has there been some talk of topology and machine learning? The, the answer is uh, there absolutely has. I mean, I found papers and stuff on it, but nothing has been... Nothing's popped out at me at being too compelling. Nothing's pop- popped out at me at being like, oh, wow, uh, this this group is really using topology to kind of change the game in machine learning. It's just sort of some interesting stuff. But who knows? Maybe one day that will change. Um, okay, so uh, a, f- uh, a few notes before I get into the topic of today, which is I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give an AI update. I'm going to talk about, there's all this talk now about GPT-3 which is this new AI system that everyone's all excited about. So I want to talk about that a little bit and maybe what we can say about that. Uh, Before I begin, there is uh, a a new section on the Local Maximum website on localmaxradio.com. You can go to localmaxradio.com slash questions. And essentially, it's like a blog, but what I'm going to be doing is going through a lot of the concepts that we talk about on Local Maximum and make kind of a, a landing page for it and discuss those concepts. That way you can look them up directly without having to look up a specific uh, a specific episode with that concept on it. Now, like, so for example, I have what is a local maximum, uh, what is underfitting, what is overfitting, um, what is hill climbing, what is topology, uh, and I'm just gonna. I think I'm just gonna add more and more. I think it'll be a helpful resource. <laughs> it'll also be helpful for SEO, from my perspective. So I am. I'm looking forward to that, and also to kind of put together more, you know, concepts and ideas in our toolbox that we can kind of uh, use and and learn from and refer back to. Uh, so that's localmaxradio.com/slash 
questions, if you have any of your own personal questions, now you'll notice that this is more like definitional questions, but if you have any questions that you want to suggest uh, that we write an article for, send me an email at localmaxradio at gmail.com. All right, so GPT-3, what is this? There's been a lot of talk about this system. It stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Uh, it's a deep neural net, and it is essentially a language model. So what do language models do? Uh, we, we talked about language models a lot on the program, and I, you can go back to episode four when we first talked about language model where I actually implemented one to crack some codes that Aaron sent me, and I was able to crack the codes because I, I was able to automatically detect which text is more likely than which other text, and that is essentially what a language model does. It sort of tells you which phrases and words are more likely to appear together than other phrases or words. In the case that one I was working on with Aaron, it was which letters were likely to appear together. So it was, you know, I was trying to un, un I was trying to decipher some gobbledygook he gave me with the substitution cipher where each letter was attached to uh, a different letter. So they were kind of, um, you know, Z might stand for a, for example. And so uh, what happened was um, it, the, the algorithm would try lots of different things and it would look for results that uh, look more likely than other results. And the way it defined more likely and less likely was building this language model. Now, the language model that I built was pretty simple. I think it was um, I actually don't remember what it was. It might have been just a logistic regression model, um, or, or a, actually, no, it's, it's probably a bigram model. Um, so that's sort of a, a simple one. But GPT-3 kind of takes it to the next level. It uses deep learning and a lot, a lot, a lot of um, computational power in order to do that. So what, what does it take to figure out which text is more likely than other text? Um, you maybe don't need to have that uh, a very intelligent system to figure out what the words are. You know, I could just feed it a dictionary and memorize the dictionary or something like that. Uh, it maybe doesn't take that intelligent of a system to get the grammar right. Um, you know, I could either feed it grammar rules or I could have it learn uh, grammar rules. Probably it's, it's better to use machine learning to learn the grammar rules and to learn which words can be which parts of speech and so on and so forth. So that's great, but you really do need a high level intelligence to do this extremely well. Um, because, you know, yes, we can program vocabulary and grammar, but after that, you really need to learn about the world. So, for example, uh, if I said, uh, I, I'm trying to think of an example here off the fly, but I was looking out my window and I saw a building um, that might make more sense than I was looking out my window and I saw an idea. I guess, I guess you can. Um, you would probably say had an idea. But an idea is a physical object. So, so uh, saw an idea would probably uh, pass the grammatical test, but it might not pass the understanding test. I could probably think of a better example than idea. Like what's something that you would never see out your window, but still a noun, like it's still a, a correct sentence. But Anyway, I'm sure you could think of one. Um, so 
in order to actually build a really good language model, like the one that uh, maybe is embedded in our brains, you actually have to understand the world. And I want to talk about that a little bit, like what does it mean to understand the world? So uh, let's go back to this GPT-3. So it's not just a language model that, that passively assigns probabilities to languages. It also uh, generates text, as a lot of these models can do. It, uh, it edits text you know, by taking one text and kind of transforming it into something that has similar meaning, but maybe has a better score in some other area, like in this case, simplicity or uh, perhaps um, succinctness or maybe a readability or something like that. Um, sorry, let me move this over here. So here's the, the, the hype that we get from the Wall Street Journal. And I want, this, is, this is sort of, people are kind of on the edge here, whether this is hype or whether this is a real deal. But the Wall Street Journal says, uh, but, oh, first of all, let me talk about who did this. Um, this was developed by an organization called OpenAI. They are kind of a, a mix between a nonprofit and a for-profit. Uh, it looks like they were nonprofit, but now they're going uh, hard profit <laughs> after developing this, funded in part by Elon Musk and Microsoft. Uh, so, and there are 175 billion parameters orders of magnitude larger than the last system, G GPT-2. Uh, so this is, hey, if I were getting millions and millions of dollars from these people, this is maybe what I would want to build. I'd want to try to uh, generate uh, the first uh, human-level intelligent system. So reading here from the Wall Street Journal, beta testers in recent weeks have found that it, uh, GPT-3, uh, can complete a half-written investment memo, produce stories and letters written in the style of famous people, generate business ideas, and even write certain kinds of software code based on a plain English description of the desired software. OpenAI has announced that after the test period, GPT-3 will be released as a commercial product. So now they're going, now they're going, uh, profitable. So you could actually test it out for yourself. I've done this by going to the site Simplifi uh, bleh, I'm, I got to pronounce this right. Simplifo.so. S-I-M-P-L-I-F-O dot S-O. You can get this on the show notes, localmaxradio.com slash 134. Uh, let me try that one more time. Simplifo. Simplifo.so. Okay, there we go. Okay, so I, so basically it tries to simplify your text using the language models of GPT-3. And I chose to input in the text from, from my website, from localmaxradio.com. So let me read my starting text. My starting text was this. I chose the name for, I chose to, see, I can't even read my text. I chose to name my podcast, The Local Maximum, because of the triple meaning, I study the practice. I study and practice machine learning and software design, for which the local maximum, as described below, is a very important concept. It also contains the word local, which matches my career-long interest in location data and local search. Finally, it also contains my name, Max. So that's an explanation of the podcast name. Now I got something really weird from the simplified text. You ready for me to read this? Okay. The local maximum is a concept in mathematics. It is the highest point of a hill, but there is another hill right next to it that is even higher. So you can be at the highest point, but it's not the highest point. A local maximum is a high point, but there are other points nearby that are higher. For example, if you are on 
top of a hill and you look around, you might see another hill that's even higher than the one you're on. You can be at a local maximum, but there can be other places that are even better. The local maximum is the highest point in your area, but there could be something better just outside your area. For example, if you live in a small town and work in a factory, your job might be the best job in town. But if you were to look around at other towns nearby, and then it just abruptly stops after that dangling sentence, if you look around at other towns nearby, I think I know how to answer it. So it's interesting. It's impressive that it seems to understand what a local maximum is. It's impressive that it came up with its own analogies, which I kind of need. I sort of need uh, someone to help me come up with analogies, as you guys know. But for why do I get the feeling that it's just copying this from a larger database? Um, or does that even matter? I mean, is that sort of what our brains are? Like we have a database of analogies that we can use. So it 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 it's it's apparently what I got is very uncommon. It made mine longer. And usually it's supposed to make them shorter. But according to the Wall Street Journal, it took the first paragraph of George Washington's farewell address and shortened it to, I am not going to run for president. So, and this is like this long thing, apparently written by Alexander Hamilton. So that's interesting. So uh, another example that they give was uh, translating. And I put some other stuff on the website in there too, and, and it kind of improved things a little bit. Another example is that they give was translating text into equations so it could actually learn. Uh, humans fed it in a few examples, like if I say 5 minus 3, but I, I type out minus, then that should uh, give me a minus sign. And so it's able to kind of translate that into equations. So that actually could be useful for me, although uh, once you learn LaTeX, maybe that's not that hard uh, to, 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 to do. Um, so it seems also to be good at wordsmithing because I put in a few of my sentences that were kind of written hastily, as I often do on, on some of the portions of my website, I'm sorry to say. Uh, and it is good at kind of rearranging it so the words flow better, which I think is really helpful. So I think a system like this could improve writing, which could be useful for editing. Although I wouldn't use this as an editor, you almost have to, you have to re-edit it. And, you know, some people say that this can be used to generate text initially and then edit it. I don't know whether that would actually work well or not. It seems like you really have to seed it with some ideas first, or it's not going to come up with anything original. But um, it, it is interesting as a way to kind of improve your writing automatically, sort of go beyond that grammatical check to sort of pick out awkward sentences and make them simpler and make them flow better. So that's really, that's really interesting to me. Um, so commercial interests, well, they're going to uh, make this available commercially. I'm not sure what the biggest business is going to be here. Um, you know, some people say, well, you know, lawyers and writers, but I don't know. I don't know if those groups are going to use it that much. Um, is it going to be used by big tech companies to mine, uh, you know, to, to mine their corpuses of data, probably more likely from a, from a commercial perspective, but we'll see. So w one of the things to think of when you look at an article like this is to kind of ask, is this, is this a parlor trick or is this real intelligence? Um, and uh, it's it's hard to say. It's sort of a it's it's sort of something that we kind of have to uh, think about as AI moves forward. Uh, it does seem to be smart in some areas and dumb in other areas, as computers are 
uh, are, are, are always do. Um, so I looked at their paper a little bit, and it seems like they really are trying to generalize their intelligence as much as possible. Uh, they don't want to build a model that's just good for a specific task. Uh, they kind of want to build one model that does it all. So for example, at Foursquare, when I built sentiment analysis model or the, um, the noun phrase model, I would do one model that's good for a specific task that's good for the specific things that people write at Foursquare. Uh, which made sense for Foursquare because that's sort of what we were aiming to do. But they're trying to uh, solve this problem generally for everybody. And I think ultimately it would save time and, and money across the economy if everybody has access to something like this easily. Um, so, okay, another uh, quote from their paper, from the OpenAI paper and archive is, you know, humans do not require large supervised data sets to learn most language tasks. A brief directive in natural language, uh, ex for example, please tell me if this sentence describes something happy or something sad, or at most a tiny number of demonstrations, you know, here are two examples of people acting brave, give me a third example of bravery, is often enough. And so this is sort of, if we refer back to, there's this one uh, question that I've had about AI and machine learning, uh, throughout the course of talking to you on this podcast, which is, you know, in 2010, they said big data is all that matters. It's just the bigger data set you have, the more intelligent you are. But I thought maybe, uh, maybe we should focus on big algorithm, you know, maybe take the, you know, most data is junk anyway, maybe try to uh, focus on how to get the most intelligence out of the data you have. And, you know, uh, uh, trying to work it that way could be a good strategy as well. And so uh, they seem to validate the idea that, you know, humans don't need a lot of examples in order to get something right. Um, it, it seems like humans are very good at taking a couple of examples and finding the boundary between you know what is uh, you, 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 what what is an example of, of what you're talking about? What isn't? So if I give you like three examples of of cats, then you kind of know you get the idea. You kind of know what a cat is, and you sort of have an idea of maybe not perfect, but you have an idea of when it's not a cat anymore, which is interesting. Whereas uh, machines kind of need a little bit more a little bit more input in order to figure that out. So I want to talk about a more general question today, which is what is the difference between natural language processing, just plain old statistics on natural language, and natural language understanding? You know, what does it mean to understand language? It's a really deep philosophical problem. Um, you feel like you understand something, you usually have some concept in your mind. Uh, let's think of an example, maybe a chair. I know that chair is too often used in philosophy, but I don't have enough. I, I need to work on, if anyone has an online course in thinking of good examples, let me know because I need better examples. But let's suppose I say the word chair. Uh, does, a, does an image pop up in your mind? Perhaps it's an image of a chair. Perhaps it's the chair in your office. Perhaps it's a simple wooden chair with four legs, um, and then I ask you to think about, okay, you know, what is a chair? So 
I, to do it for me, when you say chair, I have a single chair in your mind, but then when you ask me to think more deeply about what is a chair, I think of all the different types of chairs. And when I thought about it, it's really not just the concept of the chair that's important, it's the connections and relationships with other concepts uh, that's important. So it looks like the, uh, the concept space in language, in natural language understanding, is actually a topological problem. So, so uh, for example, uh, a chair is something that someone usually sits on. Uh, it has certain properties. Maybe it's, uh, it's, it's solid. Uh, does a chair have to have a back or not? I feel like usually it does, but it doesn't have to. Is a stool a, a special type of chair or is a stool something separate? Um, and so there are gray areas there, and I'm not always concerned about the gray areas, but I feel, I feel like even though there are gray areas in our language, we kind of get the idea that we sort of know what something is based on a few different properties that come together, and we see that pattern of properties again and again and again. Um, so for example, if you think of the general outline of a chair, you, you see that pattern over and over again. You see, you know, that, that thing is built. You can build one yourself, maybe. Um, and so you, you kind of have a concept of that in your mind. So that's your mental model. And so I feel like the mental model, which is how this concept relates to other concepts out there, is, uh, means that you have a better understanding of the language that you're using and a better understanding of the world. Now, sometimes you understand the world through formal definitions. Uh, but that's rare in life. That's usually not how people learn concepts. That's not how people learn language. We don't sit toddlers down and say, okay, it's time for definition 1.1, 1 .1, uh, the definition of a book. A solid object is called a book if and only if uh, it includes one or more pages of text bound together between two covers, blah, 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 blah. No, 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 no. That's not how they learn that. They learn, they see a bunch of these objects that have similar properties, um, and you know they see them being pulled off the shelf or being being shown to them or whatever. They're being shown that it's called book, and then you get an idea of generalizing the concept that um, you know a book has you know a book usually has a cover, usually has pages. I see people reading from it. Okay, so all of these things appear to be books. Um, and uh, again, what's interesting about humans is we get good at seeing examples and drawing the appropriate boundaries from the examples. So, um, you know, not, not always maybe, but a, a, a toddler might know the difference between a book and, let's say, a, a, a placemat with writing on it. Um, just because they know that, okay, those are two different things. Not always, and sometimes, like we said in one of those uh, uh, previous episodes, that uh, toddlers tend to overfit. Where was our overfitting and underfitting episode? I'm gonna look that up for a second. Yeah, episode 16 on overfitting and underfitting. Right, humans tend to overfit, overgeneralize, underfit, undergeneralize. But the thing is that uh, I think we are very good at figuring out what the boundary is. Another interesting one is color. Like, if I show you a, a card that this is the color blue, people have a really good sense of where blue ends and where another color begins. Um, maybe it's just through, I, you know, I, I don't think maybe, maybe it's biological, maybe it's just through conditioning, but we tend to get that from very few examples, which is, to me, really, really 
interesting. So that's what I want to say about GPT-3. Let me know if you have any uh, comments on it, localmaxradio at gmail.com. Uh, again, it's a, it's a deep learning model. It's not something that is you know, very simple where we can go through and explain everything on the show directly. But uh, it's, it's cool to see this kind of AI research happening in the wild and to see even these large kind of breakthroughs happening in 2020 where it feels like for a lot of us, not a whole lot is getting done. Okay, a few more news items that I want to get through and then we'll call it a day. We'll have a pretty quick episode today. The first is, oh, there's this one going around the internet and this is just a, uh, here, here's an article from Engadget uh, about the SkyDrive flying car. Talk about emerging technology. Toyota-backed SkyDrive has finally conducted a public crude test flight for its flying car after years of work. The startup flew its SDO3 vehicle around the Toyota test field in the city of Toyota with a pilot at the helm. While it wasn't autonomous, as you might have guessed, it showed that the aircraft could work as promised in the field. So these kind of spectacular tests often make a large, kind, a, a large, let's say, a, a press event. Um, and I'm sure it drives technology forward for Toyota and whoever else in and knowledge and learning for whoever else is, is funding this. Um, but there isn't really a huge push for this right now in terms of overall funding. So it's not like self-driving cars where there is this huge, unprecedented push and arms race by all the tech companies and the major car manufacturers to get to uh, autonomous features, especially level three and four first. So it's interesting. I'll continue to follow these things, but I don't think we're going to be flying uh, to and from work uh, Jetson style anytime in the future. So that's, uh, that's clearly uh, not in the cards. But hey, just like any, any tech like this, there could be some... Uh, you know, there could be some niche uses. So, for example, in areas where there aren't roads, uh, you could take one of these small flying vehicles and maybe it would be a lot cheaper than taking a helicopter or something like that to get from point A to point B, but obviously a lot more expensive than a car. Uh, okay, and finally, I want to talk, this is just something that has been lighting up the Potiverse recently. Everybody's talking about it, and because it's related to the stuff that I've been talking about, I definitely want to weigh in, which is, uh, the James Altucher episode uh, 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 article in, in the New York Post that says, like, New York City is dead forever. Here's why. And obviously, you know, living in New York City, we have a lot of problems right now. Um, and so I think, well, obviously, coronavirus is a problem. The response to it is a problem. The high crime rates is a problem. Uh, all sorts of problems happening in the city right now. Uh, but I think, well, I think the reason why this article inflamed people was because of the headline, basically, because the headline sort of uh, told you there was no hope. And the argument here is that now we have high bandwidth, so there's no reason for people to be in the city anymore. Uh, there's no reason for people to live in the city. And he says that, you know, there is a, uh, there's a bunch of research saying that people are better off working from home, they're more productive working from home, uh, even if they don't enjoy it. I would like to double check the research that he's looking on there because I am a little bit skeptical. I absolutely think some things are better 
working from home, but I don't think, well, the podcast, for example, although it would kind of be nice if I had a studio to go to and Aaron was there, even though he's in like a, you know, a, a different state right now and we could say hi and we do the podcast and the, and the guests come in, but you're, you're right. Maybe it, maybe it's more productive, but there, there, to me, it, it almost seems impossible that some of these creative things where you have people sharing ideas and, and randomly bumping into each other in the hallways and, and having random conversations, uh, when that doesn't happen, that that is going to be a, 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 a boon for a, an innovative company. It seems like that just doesn't seem possible. So anyway... All these responses, you know, Jerry Seinsfeld responded very, just people are just angry, like, you know, how dare you? Whatever. I don't want to get into that. Um, I just want to talk about the issue of, okay, let's say this is a problem. Um, could this, could the city be turned around? What does that mean for the city to be turned around? Obviously you want, uh, you know, New York City to be kind of a center of, culture and, and business and industry and, you know, you want, um, you know, and, and entertainment. Um, and, and our city's doomed across the board because if cities are doomed across the board because of this trend, then, um, then, then, then that's a problem. But I actually don't think that's the case. You know, we talked about in 2018 uh, the rise of, uh, you know, when we were doing our predictions market, uh, our predictions market, uh, our predictions episode about, Kind of the rise of um, of exurbs and outer suburbs uh, because of well one day self driving cars and because of bandwidth and because of working from home and so we sort of talked about this trend even before all of this happened uh, and now this trend is being speeded up but or sped up but I don't think that that means the city is over because of the reasons that I stated I think that. Um, I think there's a certain amount of creativity and cross-pollination that still only happens in person. Like, yes, you have enough bandwidth to do video chats whenever you want, uh, and yes, uh, and 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 yes, you can get all the entertainment and stuff from your own home. But I think people are going to find there's something missing, and there are going to be people flocking to the cities. Now, there are economic problems in the city, but that those economic problems are. They are severe, uh, but they could be turned around with, uh, you know, good leadership. I think that, you know, so I, I think that for a time, you know, that uh, rents and, and property values will have to fall, but it will attract lots of people to come into the city, particularly, you know, young people. And, um, you know, if you can keep, keep crime low, which there's no reason why you can't under good leadership, you make it a priority. They just haven't made a priority. Um, there's no reason why you can't uh, kind of reinvigorate the city. And I actually think there is an opportunity for kind of new companies to crop up, startup companies to crop up, to take advantage of what is happening in the cities. And also now, um, I think that you know, in the future, maybe tra- if the density drops – and if less people are using transportation, it'll actually be easier to come in and out of the city. Um, if there's more, uh, if it becomes easier to, to get in and out of the city, then more people will, uh, more people could actually come in and out from living in, in the suburbs, if that makes sense. And I just think that 
there are companies, maybe I'm, I'm not being specific enough, but there, there are companies that could take advantage of this. I, I, I think it has to be an area where people need to be creative. It has to be in product development pursuits where people are bouncing ideas off of each other constantly. And those types of companies, I believe, will thrive in these cities in the future if the cities have smart leadership and if they uh, appropriately uh, plan for the future. We don't have that right now, but there's no reason why we can't have that in the future. Okay, sorry that wasn't as succinct and clear as I usually am, but that's sort of a few of my thoughts off the top of my head. Maybe we'll talk about this later. If you want to weigh in, localmaxradio at gmail.com. All right, pretty short episode today. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel, feel the power.